We welcome you to the REST podcast. The messages you will hear have been taken from sessions from past REST conferences. We pray that God will use this message to encourage and strengthen you in your walk with the Lord and your ministry for Him. We're in Nehemiah chapter number 4. Our theme for this meeting was they strengthened their hands for this good work. I love the book of Nehemiah. Uh, when I came here to be the pastor 13 years ago, it was the first book I preached through, and um, I just couldn't wait to do it. And then I guarantee if I went back and listened to the sermons, I would have wished I had waited. But I I've really draw a lot of strength and a lot of practical instruction from the book of Nehemiah. So we come to chapter 4. We'll read chapter 4 beginning in verse 1 uh, through verse 10, and then as time allows, uh, God willing, we'll look through the rest of the chapter. The Bible says, But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews, will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised and turn their reproach upon their own head, and give them for a prey in the land of captivity, and cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together under the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. But it came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. And Judah said, the strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed. And there is much rubbish, so that we are not able to build the wall. I want you to notice that phrase we find here in verse number 10, the strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed. I want to speak to you on that subject here uh, this evening, strength decayed. Have you ever been there? The strength of the bearers of the burdens is decayed. And there's much rubbish so that we are not able to build the wall. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for these precious people who are here with us tonight. And Lord, you know the need in every life. You know the need in every church that's represented. We pray for many of our friends who had hoped to be here but cannot be here. And we pray that you would encourage them. And we pray for the sweetness of your presence among us tonight. We pray the Holy Spirit would be our teacher 
We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be our preacher, that you would open to us uh, the scriptures and know how our hearts will burn within us. So I pray that you would stir the embers in our soul, ignite our passion for you, our passion for what you've called us to do. Give us strength in the midst of the battle and in the difficulties. Encourage those who are discouraged. Lift up the fallen. Strengthen the weak hands. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Nehemiah had a, a good job. He was the king's cupbearer. It was a pretty good deal. I'm sure he made good money. I'm sure he had good benefits. <clears throat> Got to travel with the king. Uh, he, he learned a lot, no doubt, being with the king. He was a very trusted advisor, an intimate friend of the king's. But he didn't choose a career. He answered a call. And I want to say to you that you have not chosen a career. You have answered a call. And that call is from God himself. Do you remember when that call was impressed upon your heart? I remember when that happened. There was fear. There was excitement. What a wonderful thing to know that the sovereign God of the universe has selected you and I to serve him. And what greater thing could we do but to be involved in the work of the church, the greatest work the world will ever know? I think of this verse at Colossians 4, 17, and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. I can imagine Archippus uh, in Colossae as the letter's being read and at the close of the letter, uh, by the way, I got something to say to Archippus. <laughs> I imagine he perked up. Wonder what he was going through. Wonder if he was thinking about quitting. Wonder if he was discouraged. I wonder if he got sidetracked. I wonder if he felt like these people were not able to build. Strength is decayed. We've carried these burdens as long as we can. All there is around here, Nehemiah, is a bunch of rubbish. Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord. Let's remember who gave it to us. That thou fulfill it. You see, God placed a burden in Nehemiah's heart. That burden was to rebuild the walls of the city. And Nehemiah did that because he had a passion for God. Remember when he asked of his brethren, he said, tell me, how is it going? And they said, those who are in the province are in great affliction and reproach. And, and when he heard the report in Jerusalem, what did he do? He sat down and he mourned and he wept and he fasted and he prayed certain days before the God of heaven. Nehemiah had a burden in his heart. Why are you and I in the ministry? Why is it that we do what we do every day? Because God has called us and God has placed a burden in us. As Jeremiah who said, I will forbear. I will not preach anymore in his name. And he said, but I couldn't stay. There was a fire in my bones. Do you have that fire in your bones? Praise God, it's there. You wouldn't want to live without it, would you? You see, Nehemiah had a passion for the work of God. He was engaged in an important task. Hey, you know what? His work was essential, wasn't it? Can I tell you, 
The work of the church is essential work. It's essential. Nehemiah was commissioned to do this work. It was the work of the Lord. What was his job? It was to build the walls. Why was he doing that? In order to reestablish and secure Jewish, religious, and national life. The walls were built in order to rebuild the lives and families of the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The walls of the city were important. Why? Because they served as as barriers to the enemy and as boundaries to the citizen. Now God has called Nehemiah to go and rebuild the walls of the city. We come to chapter 2 and verse 17. I would invite you to turn there with me. Chapter 2 and verse number 17. Nehemiah, if you'll remember, had prayed for maybe four or five months asking God to give him favor in the sight of the king. And so one day while he's carrying out his duties, he's sad in the presence of the king. The king said, Nehemiah, tell me what's wrong with you. This is no more than sorrow of heart. Nehemiah says, how can I not be sorrowful when my brethren in my homeland, my city, the place where God's name is magnified in worship, when, when that city is in reproach? And so he says, okay, Nehemiah, what are, you, what are you really asking me for here? I want to go back and rebuild the walls, king. And then, so the king says, well, all right, how much time will that take? Well, Nehemiah gave him the time. And then Nehemiah said, well, you know what, king? He says, I got this. I thought about this for the last five months. I'm going to need uh, some documentation to carry me over from one province to the next. I'm going to need a, an escort, some security, and I'm going to need your Lowe's card because there's going to be materials to buy. And do you know the king gave all of that to him? So he rides into Jerusalem, and he's there for several days. He doesn't tell anybody what God's put in his heart. And after taking a survey across the city, we come to verse 17. He said, Then said I unto them, this group that he's speaking to now are the leaders of the city of Jerusalem, the men of Jerusalem. I said unto them, Ye see the distress that we are in. How Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me. There's also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. He said, fellas, do I have a story to tell you? Five months ago, I was in the palace. I asked some guys about how it was in Jerusalem. They told me I began to pray, and God began to answer prayer. And one day, I got to talk to the king, and boom, here I am. And they're listening to this story. This same group of men who 13 years earlier had tried to rebuild the walls and decided it couldn't be done. Has anybody ever told you it can't be done? We've tried that before. Nehemiah heard that. So what does Nehemiah do? He speaks to them concerning the hand of his God, which was good upon him. Hasn't God's hand been good upon us? We have nothing to complain about, do we? Now, I can complain, trust me. I do a lot of it, more than I need to. But I'm here to tell you that the hand of my God has been good upon me. So they heard this. Notice their response in verse 18. And they said, let us rise up and build. That's what you want to hear, isn't it, gentlemen? Ladies, so they strengthened their hands for this good work. How did they do that? Well, they did it because they heard what God was doing. They were awakened to the need. 
They'd been living in Jerusalem. Surely they knew the enemy was running roughshod through the city. They knew that Sanballat and Tobiah and all the, the, the armies of, of the enemies of God were there. They knew that, uh, that idols were being worshipped, but they'd gotten used to it. And God used Nehemiah to stir their hearts, and they strengthened their hands for this good work. But when we get to chapter 4, we find that the strength is decayed. It's decayed. Now, I want you to note some things in this passage, and, and I think about some questions here. Number one, I think about this, is, and, and this isn't the message, but just thinking about this text, uh, how did they lose their strength? Because their hands were strong, they were ready to go. We've all been there, right? And then a couple chapters over, they've lost it. How did the loss of strength affect them? How did they manage in their loss? And how did they receive strength again? I think those are some natural questions that we would ask as we look at this text. Now, I want to give you three thoughts three major headings. The first is this, the tactics of the foe. The tactics of the foe. I think they lost their strength in part because of the tactics of the foe. Look, if you would, again, in verse number one. But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation. This means he was really, really really mad. Do you know what I believe one of the great tactics of the enemy is in this hour? It's anger. Have you ever seen an hour when people are so angry as the hour in which we live? Our nation seems hopelessly divided. People are shouting at one another. Even in churches, we, we've probably at some point in our lives seen that kind of anger manifest. There are a lot of angry people in this world. Unfortunately, there are a lot of angry preachers in this world. The Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 19, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Our anger cannot produce righteous effects, righteous works. And sometimes when you're being treated by people who are expressing anger, there's, there's a temptation, not, maybe not in all of us, but in some of us, and at least in me at times, to respond in turn. This anger is provoking, and it wears you down. Here's a second thing, another tactic. Verse 1, and mocked the Jews. Ridicule. Now, this, this is a form of, of attack of the devil against God's people that is very, very effective. I mean, nobody likes to be talked about. Nobody likes to be made fun of or questioned or criticized. And by the way, you've got an entire industry now in social media who specializes in this. To find something that you said that maybe you, you could have phrased better and, and now they're going to make it go viral. Ridicule, ridicule. 
mocked the Jews. Now, notice verse 2, and he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, what do these feeble Jews, will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Now, Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. It's almost like they went into a middle school lunchroom. The kind of ridicule, the kind of mockery they're using here. You know, I heard that during the Gulf War, when they wanted the enemies to come out, when they were hiding in Iraq, they would go through the streets and they would send messages questioning the manhood of those Iraqi soldiers. And because their manhood was questioned, they couldn't remain in hiding and they had to jump out to defend their honor. A good friend of mine, Billy Ingram, told me that Danny Whetstone said this to him one time, and it really stuck with me. He told Billy, he said, if the devil ever learns that he can keep you distracted with personal attacks, he'll keep them coming. You know, we can put up with a lot, but when somebody questions our integrity and our motives, that's tough, isn't it? When somebody says something about your children... <laughs> That's tough. And he said, if the devil figures out that you'll, he can get you to respond to those personal attacks, he'll just keep them coming. I said, Billy, I'm so glad you told me that. Because it's hard when people question you and say things about you that aren't true, and you know they're not true. It's hard not to respond. Anger, ridicule. Here's the third one, violence. Verse 7, but it came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up, that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. That was their goal, and by the way, that was the goal of the devil who was behind all of this. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. You see, we see violence. We see conspiracies in our land. We see conspiracies often in our churches, and it's amazing who unites for the common cause of hindering the work of God. These tactics are heavy, aren't they? Satan will use other tactics in chapters 5 and 6. He uses the tactic of division, the tactic of discouragement and the tactic of deception. And we're living in a deceptive age. And today, God's people face great discouragement. God's preachers do. Think about the last 18 months. You remember what it was like that first Sunday you preached to that camera? It was very unsettling. I remember I, I said to our staff, I said, I just want you guys to know this isn't easy. And I don't think I was real kind when I said it because I was so disturbed about it. I remember watching the news one night, and the NBA playoffs are canceled, which I don't watch the NBA. I don't care that much about it, but the fact that they canceled them, the SEC tournament, which I do care about, was canceled. I'm thinking, what in the world's going on? I've never seen anything like this. 
Now, I don't have panic attacks, and I don't get overly anxious, but I'm going to tell you, I got really disrupted. And I mean, I've, I've grown up in Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches all my life. I know the book of Revelation. I can tell you who the Antichrist is. I'm, I'm, I know all those conspiracies. I know it all. And I'm thinking, here it is. I was so disturbed. Were you? I didn't know what to do. I said to my kids, I said, y'all come in here. And we got the Bible. And we opened to the book of the Psalms. And it was as if Jesus came into the room. Better yet, let me just say, he did come into the room. And our tender shepherd spoke to us and he quieted my heart with the truth of his word. You see, we've been trying to make decisions about masks and multiple services, social distancing and people calling us and sending us Facebook messages and every conspiracy under the sun. And, and here we are trying to disseminate all that information. And we're worried about our church and we're wondering about our people. And we're wondering about those who don't check in on the, on the, on the live stream and, and, and haven't returned. And all of these things have just come together, including all of what we've seen in our nation, all this social upheaval and all this anger and all this resentment and all this hatred, and it gets tiresome. And we're trying to bear the burden. And the foe is there with all the hatred of hell. And he's saying, quit. Give up. It can't be done. Why do you even try? Those people don't love you. They don't even want to hear you preach anyway. The tactics of the foe. Well, then there's a second thing we see in this passage. That's the tendencies of the faint. The tendencies of the faint. When we get tired. The Bible says that Judah said the strength of the bearers of the burdens is decayed. That word decayed means to make weak, to stumble, to stagger, to fall underneath the load. Have you felt that way? Lord, I don't know how much more this I can take. You preach a message, you get in a car, and you tell your wife that's the worst message ever preached in the history of the Christian church. It doesn't matter what she says to you. It was awful. But if she doesn't protest, it's not going to be good, right? We get that way. We stumble. We stagger. We fall. We're susceptible to many temptations and snares when we're tired, are we not? We get anxious when we are under attack. 
we get paranoid. I don't mean this about anybody else. I, I've just observed this. I think preachers are some of the most paranoid people I know. We're thinking if brother so-and-so talks to brother so-and-so and they get aggravated about such and such, I'm finished. Well, how foolish is that thinking? Who called us here? Who placed us here? Whose hands are we in? Did the Lord say, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it? We have to remember whose hands we're in. I've often turned there. We get paranoid. We get defensive. We come to the end of ourselves. We come to the end of our strength. And by the way, that's a good place to come to. It's painful. It's a little bit scary. But it's a good place to come to. Paul discovered that, did he not? He said, the Lord said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities. Well, we don't do that very well, do we? We don't like to talk about our infirmities, and we do not like to glory in our infirmities. We want to hide them. We want to pretend as if we had none. But Paul said, God used those infirmities. He's used them. He's used my weakness. And let me tell you how, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Moses was a man who wasn't able to speak, remember? He said, Lord, I, I stutter and I, I stammer and I him haul around and I can't get two words out of my mouth. I'm, I'm the wrong guy. The Lord said, hey, wait a minute, I made your tongue, right? and I'll be with your tongue. Gideon said, uh, you got the wrong guy. The Lord said, thou mighty man of valor, but he was working at night trying to hide from the armies of the enemy. Gideon said, you got the wrong man. The Lord said, no, I've got the right man. Jephthah said, wait a minute, I, I can't defeat the foe. My brethren don't want me around, but no, that's exactly who God used. You see, God specializes in using the weak. And when we're weak, his strength is made perfect. But there are some tendencies, some temptations that we can fall into, some snares in the midst of our weakness. And I think we need to, we need to be aware of those. First of all, we see here that when we are weak, we have a tendency to magnify the problems. We have a tendency to magnify the problems. Uh, go back with me, if you would, here to Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse number 10. And Judah said, the strength of the bearers of the burdens is decayed. We're, we're really tired. We're, we're, we're weary. We're at the end of ourselves. Notice the next statement. And there is much what? Rubbish. You see, all that they could see was the mess and the problems. And they were so focused on the problems. Do you know what they failed to see? The progress. Look in verse 6. 
Look in verse 6. So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof. For the people had a mind to work. They were halfway there. You know, I think sometimes we get our eyes on the problems and we forget that God is at work and God is accomplishing things in the lives of people. Yes, we may not see a response at the altar, but let me tell you that the word of God will not return void. God will accomplish the purpose whereto he sent it. And if we'll be faithful to preach the word, if we'll be faithful to do the work of God, God is faithful to do his work. We can't measure it. I want to tell you, that's one of the great blessings of COVID is that God removed all the measurables from us. You know what was a good Sunday for us? The crowd, the offering. Did the choir sound good? Was the special? Did the sound system operate without a screech? And, uh, and uh, you know, did all the things happen? And we thought, that's a good service. But when nobody was in the auditorium, all those measurables were removed. And you know what we had to do? We had to recognize our weakness. And we had to trust God for his strength. And do you know that God has worked in his church, hasn't he? He's worked in his church. He's pruning his church, absolutely. People may not ever return. I understand that. But God is a work in his church. You see, when we get tired, we magnify our problems and we fail to see the progress. Just keep working. God is at work. But it does get messy, doesn't it? I mean, imagine now. The city had been ransacked years and years earlier, burnt with fire. The stones were turned over. They pried those stones apart to get to the gold inside that temple. I mean, they had turned every stone over. They had burned everything they could. It was a complete and utter mess. And it had been that way for years. And life and ministry gets messy. You know when you pull out that Christmas stuff, you know, that one time a year when you pull it out and you got all those cords and they're all tangled? That's the way life gets, doesn't it? And we have a tendency to magnify the problems. We think about that two or three people in the church that weren't in that meeting. Instead of the number who were, Instead of all the encouraging words as people shook their hands and said, Pastor, God really used that in my life today. We think about that one person who didn't speak to us. And we have a tendency to magnify the problems. Here's a second tendency. The, the tendency is to minimize the power. To minimize the power. Look again in verse number 10. Judah said, the strength of the bearers of the burdens is decayed, and there is much rubbish, so that we are not, what's the next word? Able. We're not able to do the job. We're not able to build the wall. It, this is an impossible task, Nehemiah. You, you don't understand. This place is such a mess, we don't even know where to begin. We've been carrying stones around this city trying to clear it out so that we can get the wall built. It's such a mess, we don't even know where to begin. But somebody might have said, hey, wait a minute, fellas. Look over there. The wall's half built. 
And they said, look, we're just too tired. Our hands that were once strong have now sank low. Our hearts that were stirred are now full of sadness. We cannot do the job. We do not have the power. We do not have the resources. You know, Paul mentioned this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5. He said, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. None of us are anything but piles of dirt. But God, he says in verse 6, hath made us able ministers of the New Testament. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. Aren't you glad that God by his Spirit who dwells in you, the God who saved you, the God who gave you eternal life, the God who dwells within you, the God who calls you is the God who empowers you to serve him. Despite your weaknesses, he uses you. Being confident, Paul said in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it under the day of Jesus Christ. Are you confident of that? Did God mess up when he called you into ministry? No. Has he forgotten you? Has he forsaken you? No. He will perform his work in you, and he will perform it through you. A third tendency, number one, to magnify the problems. Number two, to minimize the power. Number three, to cease from the labor. That's what the devil wants us to do. He wants us to quit. Verse 11, and our adversary said, they shall not know. Neither see till we come in the midst among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. Proverbs 24, verse 10, If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. This is Satan's ultimate goal, for us to faint, for us to quit. But I want you to know my strength is small. But his strength in me is greater. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. And so to cease from their labors. Those are our tendencies. Number one, magnify the problems. Number two, minimize the power source. Number three, to cease from our labor. So what did they do? We found out how they lost their strength. They lost it because they began to be weary. They began to succumb under the heavy burden of the foe and the adversary and the work. And they began to question if they were able to do the work. But then we find that they persevered. And may God help us to persevere. And so the last thing we note here is the triumph of the faithful. The triumph of the faithful. Moreover, it is required in a steward that a man be found what? That's all, we're, that's all God has called us to do. There are a lot of people in this room who are a lot more gifted than I am. I could never preach like some of you. My mind may not be as good as yours, 
you may not look as handsome gentlemen as I do. That was a joke. You can laugh at that, all right? But we can all be faithful. We can all be faithful. We just celebrated Mr. DeLand's retirement 47 years in Christian education. 47 years serving in the local church. Served as an interim pastor. Served here the last, what, Doug? How was, no, the, but the last number of years you were with our seniors ministry. Five years. Last five years just working, visiting our seniors and our shut-ins, taking care of the needs, directing that ministry, and and knowing, I mean, if we can't find anything in the building, we know the one man who knows where it is. It's Mr. DeLand. 47 years, he and Mrs. DeLand have served the Lord. Not a lot of people know at the conferences across the country who those people are, but God in heaven knows it. It's required that a man be found faithful. These are faithful people, and we honored them last week, and and they deserve that honor. And the Lord who's been faithful to them, and that's what they would want, deserves that glory as well. You see, the triumph goes to those who are faithful, those who don't quit. <clears throat> you will never accomplish anything if you don't stay at it. You got to go to work, and you got to stay at it, or you'll never see anything happen. Well, Nehemiah stayed at it, did he not? And so did the people. Now, how did they triumph? How did they remain faithful? Well, first of all, they prayed. They prayed. Verse 4, hear, O our God, for we are despised. <laughs> I want you to know the church is despised right now. You know that, right? We all understand that. Aren't you glad there's a God in heaven who hears this? and turn their reproach upon their own head and give them for a prey in the land of captivity and cover not their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee. This is one of the uh, imprecatory prayers like David prayed, you know, against his foes. Verse 9, nevertheless, nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God. You say, well, you don't realize what they're doing to us. You don't know how hard they're working. I mean, the foe is strong. Verse 9, nevertheless, we didn't stop. We just kept on praying and set a watch against them day and night. You see, Nehemiah had learned something about prayer because this work that God had given him to do, this good work, well, it was conceived in prayer. I remember Nehemiah sat down, wept, fasted, mourned, and prayed. And then he gave that wonderful prayer in chapter 1. He come to the last of that prayer. He says, and give me favor. Give your servant favor in the sight of this man. God had put it in his heart to go. He knew it by the time that prayer was over. The work was conceived in prayer. Hey, the work continued in prayer, and thanks be unto God, the work was completed in prayer. May we never arrive at the point where we do not see the necessity and the power and the strength of prayer. And I'm guilty of giving much more attention to my preaching than my praying. And I think it was G. Campbell Morgan. They said, we're going to miss his preaching. We're going to miss his preaching. 
And his wife said, oh, but I'm going to miss his prey. I'm going to miss his prey. He prayed. They prayed. Here's the second thing. They determined to do the job. Verse 6, so built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together under the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. I remember a gentleman who's here, Jesse Winstead, is a precious man, and early on he said to me, he says, Pastor, I think we're going to have to have some grit. We'll have to have some grit. I found a book. I haven't read it yet, but I've got it in my, in my office called Pastoral Grit. And I bought that just thinking about Jesse. Hey, we got to have some grit. we got to determine to do the job, right? Verse 12, they encouraged one another. I'm running out of time. Look with me, if you would, in verse 14. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and the rest of the people, be not ye afraid of them. Boy, sometimes we need to hear that, don't we? I mean, we hear about the news, and we hear, we hear about the politic world, and, and we're, we're thinking, oh, my word, look who's in charge of this country and what a mess we're in, and, and oh, my goodness, think of all that's happening and, 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 and all the people that are fighting against the church and all the undercurrents and everything that's going on. Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord. That dispels the fear, does it not? Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren. Remember Saul and all the soldiers up there on the, uh, on the, on the mountain, and, and they're looking down in the valley, and there's Goliath with his fist raised in the heavens, and he's defying the armies of the living God, and he's cursing them by his gods. And all those brave soldiers who had fought many Philistines, their knees were knocking, and nobody would go down there and face Goliath. And then this little 17-year-old boy wanders into the camp, and he said, who is that that's defying the armies of the living God? I'll go up and fight for him. And he runs after him, and he says, I come unto thee in the name of the Lord. He said, I, I got a good view of you, Goliath. I'm sitting on God's shoulders, and from my perspective, you ain't so big. Remember the Lord. They encourage one another. Hey, we need to encourage one another. And we need to find people in our community, preachers, that we can encourage. I know we're all busy, but let's do it. Hebrews 10, verse 24, let us consider one another. Hey, think about somebody besides me. And my problems. Let us consider one another to provoke and to love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And how often should we do it? Not less in these busy days, not less in these difficult days, but so much the more. As you see the day approaching. There's a plug for the Southwide Conference. How about that? Here's another one. I got to hurry. I got to hurry. I got to hurry. They waited for clarity. Verse 15. And it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us 
and God had brought their counsel to naught that we returned all of us to the wall, everyone to his work. You see, there was a time when it wasn't clear, when they didn't know what was going on. There was a time when they were walking around and despairing, saying, we're all discouraged and we can't get this work done. It just seems too impossible for us to do. And these enemies, they're up to something, but we don't know what it is. Do you know what they did? They waited on God to make it clear. And we get ourselves into trouble when we get ahead of God. Ask Abraham and Sarah. Ask Moses, who thought the people would understand that they, that they were ready to follow him. Ask Naomi, who said, you know, hadn't rained here in a while in Bethlehem, Judah. Let's go down to Moab. Here's the next one. They prepared for battle. They prepared for battle. You can read it in verse 17. But may God help us to understand we're in a fight. We're in a fight. Quit ye like men. Our God, he said in verse 19, verse 20, shall fight for us. Here's the last one. They endured. This is how they triumphed in faith. They prayed, they determined to do the job, they encouraged one another, they waited for clarity, they prepared for battle, and then they endured. Look in verse 21, so we labored in the work. Half of them held the spears from the rising of the morning till the stars appeared. Likewise, at the same time, said I unto the people, let everyone with his servant lodge within Jerusalem, that in the night they may be a guard to us and labor on the day. So neither I nor my brethren nor my servants nor the men of the guard which followed me, none of us put off our clothes, saving that every one of them put them off for washing. Hey, there was long days and there was messy work, but they endured it. It's getting harder, isn't it? Is ministry getting harder? What you're being called on to do is getting harder? The Bible said Moses endured as seeing him who is invisible. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your mind. There is triumph. May God help us to be faithful. The tactics of the foe, the tendencies of the faint, the triumph of the faithful. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. We hope the Lord has used this message to speak to you. The REST Conference is a meeting designed to encourage and strengthen pastors, missionaries, evangelists, and their wives, along with other Christian workers serving the Lord in their local churches. REST 2021 is scheduled for September 6th through the 8th at the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. We hope that you and your spouse will make plans to be with us. For more information on REST, please visit our website, therestconference.com.